ask you to turn with me to John chapter 6, the passage that Roy read for us at the beginning here in the time of confession, John chapter 6. I don't want to tell you what to do, but I would say that for most people, listening to a sermon of this kind will be much more helped if they have a Bible literally to look at. We'll have some verses that are up on the screen, but I encourage you to take, find a black Bible if you don't have one with you, if you have to use your device, that works good too. I think this kind of sermon, these sermons in John, it will be helpful for you to follow along as we go through this, and we're on page 836 in one of the versions of the Bible, or 889, we have two different, kind of, two different printed versions of those black Bibles. But in John chapter 6, we are to the longest chapter in John and the longest chapter in the New Testament. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on each verse. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, and I'll miss a lot of verses, but I want us to see the heart of what's going on in this passage. It's a Beautiful, rich, deep, nourishing, pointing us to Christ's passage. Now, I wonder what you would think if you were to go with yourself, just as yourself or with your family or for your family member, and you were going to a, an oncologist for a really important meeting. Oncologist is a cancer doctor. You were waiting back for some scans, and you were going there, and you were nervous, you thought you had something that could be treated, and you're, you want to hear from the doctor, and you want to get going on it. And you sit there with the doctor, and he comes in, and he sits down, pulls up a chair. He looks at you, and he says, did you see the game last night? And all he does is want to talk about the game last night. And you're like, yeah, 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 and you want to get to the next, and then he says, okay, did you watch that show on Netflix last week? You would say, what kind of doctor is this? What kind of idiot comes in here ready to address my real needs and talks about trivialities, something that doesn't matter? We, would, we laugh because it would be silly. It would be wrong. It's like a joke. It's a satire of a horrible doctor. We are, can be like that when it comes town to spiritual and eternal things while we focus on temporary, trivial, short-term needs and realities, ignoring what really, really matters. And maybe because we do not see the invisible. Our hearts are blind to seeing the glory of what is to come. And oh, how we need faith. John's gospel helps us see that we might savor Jesus Christ. He came that we might see him. He helps us see the invisible God. Glory is something you see. You see the glory of the Son. And Christmas has many pointers to seeing 
We put Christmas lights up. I love Christmas lights. And one of the ideas of the Christmas light is that this is a dark season, especially when you live in the great north like we do. It is a very dark season, and Christmas lights bring light to it. In, in traditional Christmas circles, they would have these Advent candles like we have here. And each week as you get closer to Christmas, you light an additional candle with the idea of the light is getting brighter and brighter to reveal something, his glory is coming, Jesus is coming, and in John, his glory is being revealed. And in this passage, we see a revealing, and I want to look at that with you this morning. Let's walk through this revealing that's take pla- taking place through this. We're going to kind of scan through, and I want you to just kind of, as you listen to me, you can kind of see through this chapter, and I want, I want you to see... S- these revealings that are taking place, and then I want to just bring out three applications from this passage for us that I think are, are amazingly important and re- relevant to each one of us for eternity. First of all, you see a Messiah or a rescuer revealed. And you see that in many ways in the first 20 verses of this, this chapter. You see that it's Passover in verse 4. That's the time, do you remember, where they, the people of Israel, remembered God delivered my family, my nation, from Egypt. We were in slavery, and he did it through Moses, and he did it through mighty, mighty plagues, including a Passover angel came, and he killed all the firstborn except for us. If we put blood over the doorpost, God rescued us. This is the time in which John marks, this is what's happening. And we find in verses 11 through 13, one of the most famous stories in the Bible. Jesus sits with his disciples. He's been teaching. He's with his disciples, and he sees a crowd. And it was a massive crowd, 5,000 men, maybe up to 20,000 people. And Jesus says, we should feed them. And they say, the disciples say, well, we really don't have much money or we don't have much resources. And just to show how little they had, it was five loaves and two fishes from a little boy. And this was the normal rations or food staples that was eaten at that time. And Jesus takes them and he blesses, he gives thanks to God, it says. And he does a miracle. He feeds the multitudes. And we are to stop there, and if we're reading our Old Testament into the New Testament, and we look at it and go, that's like a new Moses. A new Moses is bringing food in the wilderness. That's a new Moses. And there's manna feeding the multitudes. Manna, just like in number, or Exodus chapter 16, when God provided all for them. Day after day, they would wake up, and food was provided for the people. Is this the rescuer who's coming? We have the rescuer revealed that, and we see that Jesus does another amazing miracle. After he does this, the people sit back and they go, oh, I remember my Bible. And we could go back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, where it says, and I will send another, a prophet like Moses. It says, and he, you shall listen to him. And this crowd goes, that's the prophet. Look at these signs. 
This must be the prophet that Moses was talking about. More than that, we find in this story, in verse 19, Jesus doing something very strange, unless you know the Bible stories and you go, I've heard that story in Sunday school. We find that Jesus does not go with the disciples on the water, but they cross the Sea of Galilee. Then Jesus leaves the mountain, goes down, and he's walking on the water, showing that he has power over the sea and over all water, these elements, and we could stop and say, that is like Moses and the people of Israel. He, God led the people to walk on water in the Red Sea when he delivered them from Pharaoh and the chariots that were coming after to destroy them in Exodus chapter 14, or like in Joshua, when God leads Joshua and the people across the Jordan River into the promised land, could this be the rescuer who is coming? Israel's rescue, rescuer is being revealed. In fact, as he is mentioned or named already, he is the Savior of the world. He is the Messiah. He is the King. And as we read John 6, we should say, yes, he's here. So we have the Messiah revealed, but we also have motives revealed. Look with me in verse 24 and 25. It's verse 24. It says that the crowd was seeking Jesus. In fact, it says earlier than this, in this, in verse 15, they were seeking to make him king because they saw that he was doing all these things. And it says, we're going to make him king. You see, Jesus, though, he leaves them because Jesus will not be made king by these people and by their motives. Jesus will be made king in his own way, in his own plan. And in verse 24, the crowd is seeking him. They want to see him do something. They're seeking him. That seems right, right? To seek Jesus seems right. But in verse 25, it says, and their motives are revealed. And they find him and they ask him a lame question. I think it looks lame. Rabbi, when did you come here? And we say these shallow things in our hearts when... Our hearts are fixed on wrong things. In verse 26, Jesus then reveals to them their heart when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. What does he mean by this? You don't see the signs and believe in the Messiah and submit yourself to me and trust in me and look to me alone. Instead, you see these signs and miracles and you love the benefit of the signs to feed your lust and your appetites. And you're, that's the only reason why you're going after me. You are not wanting me. You just want all of these outer things, these miracles. Just like at the end of chapter 2, when... Jesus does not entrust himself to them because he knows what's in man. He knows what's in their heart. We have Jesus revealed as Messiah. We have motives revealed as not really wanting him, just wanting the things that he brings. And then you see the true bread revealed. 
true bread revealed. I, I love bread, but I got to watch out for bread. We all in this culture know, oh, bread, but too much carbs. And so we're careful with it. But when we taste really, really good bread, I'm sorry if you're gluten-free, but <laughs> if we taste really, really, really good bread, we go, that is amazing. It melts in my mouth. I want more. I don't care if the carbs turn to sugar and will make me fat. I want this bread. Bread is something that God made to sustain our lives. And Jesus comes and he teaches them and reveals the true bread. Jesus does a miracle in providing so much bread that they were absolutely satisfied. Roy read this passage. They were so satisfied, there was 12 baskets left over. And they're wanting more bread. And Jesus knows they want more bread. Just like they want, and like we want, external stuff from Jesus. We want Jesus to meet our needs. Just like they did. The bread was needed, and they wanted more bread from Jesus. And Jesus is going to reveal to them the true bread. Just like he's going to re- he revealed a few chapters earlier to the Samaritan woman who says, please give me this water so I'll never go to the well again and have to get any more water. And Jesus is saying, oh, you want water, but I have water you really, really want. And Jesus says in verse 27, if you look there, Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. And they ask, well, then what must we do to do the work of God? I want to do it so I can get the bread. Jesus says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And they said, well, then what sign will you do that we may see and believe? What do you... What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As as it was written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Probably quoting Psalm 78. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of god is he who comes down from heaven me and who gives light life to the world and they they still don't get it and they say to him okay he's speaking in riddles he's already given us bread this i mean these are probably a lot of poor people getting some extra food doesn't hurt in fact it Changes their life in some ways. And they're thinking, I'm following him. He's going to keep providing. He's this Messiah. Maybe there's going to be this new rule and reign where he's the king and he's going to change our economy. He's going to change our way of living. He's going to bring this. Will you give us this? Will you bring these signs that you're really really the one? Will you give us this bread always? And Jesus says to them in verse 35, I am the bread of life. I am. There is a ring of I am throughout John's gospel. I am the good shepherd. 
I am the resurrection and the life. Here, I am the bread. That ring comes from the book of Exodus where God says to Moses when Moses says, then who's going to send, who will I say sent me? And he says, tell him, I am sent you. God sent you. The one who was and is and will ever be the absolute being. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And then he says, whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is speaking metaphorically, and they're not getting it. This happens all the time, these misunderstandings for our meditations. And he wants us to understand, because he, you know it's, it's metaphorical, because you don't just go to, to bread and then never hunger. But here he says, you go to bread, that's the equivalent of eating of me. And if you believe in me, you'll never thirst. Jesus is saying to come to me hungry and thirsty and realizing that there is a hunger that can only be satisfied in me. And you come to me believing that I'm the one that gives it. And because I am the life that comes from God, you will have life. True bread is revealed. The bread that you need, he says to the crowds, and I say to you this morning, I say to myself, the bread that we need, the bread that satisfies you, the bread that satisfies me, is to believe in Jesus. It's Jesus alone. It's, that is the work of God, to know him. Bread gives life physically. This bread gives life eternally and spiritually. The bread you need is from God. And the bread you need is Jesus. The way you receive this bread is by coming to Jesus and believing in him. We see this throughout this chapter. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 49, look there. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Why would you want bread that you just die again from when you could have bread like this? Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. They knew in this culture, this agrarian culture, that everything that Basically, everything that I consume and eat that gives me life had to die so that I could have that food, except for salt. We, they didn't have packaged food, food that we have. I mean, think we have some food, and we look at it, there's no way that ever died. That was made in a laboratory. That's our culture today, sometimes. But the food in their culture was all, if you got it and it brought you life, it died to bring you life. And Jesus is saying, I am the bread and the bread that gives you real life now and forever. And this bread, this life that I give you is my 
flesh. And it was a picture of that he would give his flesh, his life for them. And he says some strange things to them for their ears as he's speaking, and he knows what he's doing. And you can read through verse 53. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I mean, think what they're th- what's going on here. He's saying these things, and they're looking and saying, this guy, he is so egotistical. I know he did... I know he walks on water. I know that he did an amazing miracle and maybe fed 20,000 people. But really, unless we eat his flesh, we'll have no life. Now, they, I don't think for a minute they thought they, he was telling them to become a cannibal. Which, by the way, in the first century, because disciples of Christ, the early Christians, would take of the Lord's Supper and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And they drank, this is my blood. The Romans accused the Jews and say they're cannibals. They use all these types of things to falsely accuse them. No, they knew that Jesus is talking about something deeper, but they're still saying, you have life in you? I don't think so. You are the son of Joseph. And we move then to the next thing that's revealed in these, this chapter, and that's unbelief is revealed. We could read through the Gospels, and we should, and we should say, how could anybody disbelieve if you were actually there and seeing these things? No one has ever seen somebody do these kinds of works, and yet they do. And in verse 36, we read, verse 36, he says, but I say to, said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe me. They don't believe him. And in verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. By the way, there's some irony here. This is exactly what happened thousands of years ago in the wilderness when God gave them bread. They still grumbled in the wilderness in their unbelief. And here they're grumbling in unbelief. Isn't this just Jesus, the son of Joseph, they murmur in verse 42? They hear Jesus' words when he says, you must come to me for bread. I'm the bread of life. And they, they're ready to get, they're, they're getting their bags ready to fill it with the bread he's ready to provide for them. And when they hear him give that little sermon, they stop and they shrug their shoulders. Maybe they sigh and they say, oh, just another sermon. Stink. And they trudge off. They're blind even in the face of all of these signs. Jesus then explains to them why they do not believe. Jesus explains to those around why, in the face of all of these evidence, they do not believe. And frankly, sometimes do you wonder why some people do not believe even though it seems so evident that Jesus is the life of the world. Jesus says to them, In his explanation, verse 43, do not grumble among yourselves. He says, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. He he says to them, 
Don't grumble, I'm not surprised. No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. This means that if you have come to Jesus, the Father drew you. Praise God. That, is, that means we can never go, I did it. I'm amazing. I accomplished it. In verse 37, he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the, one, the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should not lose all of that which he's given me, but I will raise it up again. So how, though, does this happen? How does this happen that we become believers? And he gives another concept of revealing. He shows us the Spirit is revealed. Just like in chapter 3, when religious Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, I know you're somebody special, you're from God, but he's not yet believing. He just wants maybe more information. He wants more answers. He's not truly believing yet. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he can never, ever see the kingdom of heaven. He's, he has no ability to see apart from something happening from outside of him, being born of God, of the Spirit. In this passage, verse 60, Jesus says in response to their unbelieving ways, when many of the disciples, look at verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, and by the way, I believe these were disciples that would leave him. These aren't the 12. But Jesus says to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before in heaven? He means, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Jesus knew Judas is even sitting there. He's gathered around there and he would betray him. I think the point here is that Jesus is going to say, Oh, you need to believe. And if you believe, you will have life. But you can't believe unless the Holy Spirit does a work in you. And that is the explanation why many, many are not turning to him. And yet he's going to give an invitation and he's going to say, but if you believe, and we would fill this in, it's because the Spirit's working in you. If you respond to this message, if you see the bread of life and you want to eat and you come to take of him and you see him as he really is, you will have life. Whoever receives him will have life. And we find finally here faith revealed, true belief. We see this in verse 66 at the end of this chapter. Look at verse 66. Though many reject him, we see true faith revealed. It's immature faith. It's imperfect, but it's true faith. Announcement to each one of you, if you believe and are saved, if you have true faith, it's an imperfect faith and it's an immature faith. And God is in the process of making it more mature and more perfect 
But praise God, it's true and it's a gift from God. And in verse 66, that says that many of the disciples turned back and they no longer walked with Jesus. They didn't believe. It got too hard for him. They didn't believe. Verse 67, so Jesus said to his 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, maybe his most glorious moment before the, in Jesus' earthly ministry, Peter beautifully says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Friends, that, that was the Spirit working through Peter. We find that else true in Matthew. He's conf- but he saw who Jesus was, and he per- in, we know he's immature, and we'll find that out in later stories of Peter. We know that he has a lot of growing to do, and his faith is not perfect, but it is real. And he says, why would we go anywhere else? You have the words of eternal life. You are the Son of God. You are the Holy One of God. Now, in application and conclusion, I just want to point you to three things in this passage. One, well, before I get there, this, this application for us is for us Christians who are walking in faith. I, I think there's different categories that sit in a sermon like this. Some of you are sitting here and, say, and are walking with Jesus, and you do trust him. You don't trust him perfectly, but it's growing, and you do obey him, and there's a joy in your heart. It's not pure joy. It's not perfect joy. You struggle with joy, but you have faith in him, and you're growing. There are some of you Right now, we're in another category. You really have been saved. You had faith. And you have some faith. But in many ways, you've wandered away from Christ. And there are some that are here, and this is true of every week, that are probably non-Christians in two different categories. Non-Christians, some that say, yep, that's me right now. I might, not be, I might become a Christian someday. I'm not there yet. I appreciate your honesty, and oh, I pray that God will work in you and draw you to this person in John chapter 6. And then there are some who are like the followers in this chapter, who followed Jesus for a time because the going seemed good, and he wasn't so confusing when he was just handing out bread and walking on water and healing the sick and the lame and raising the dead. But when he started to talk about these things, it started to make them confused proud, unbelief, exposed that they were actually not truly following Jesus for the right motives, and they left him. And there are those followers in every church, they've only come to Jesus to get what he has to offer, and they don't want him. They come because they want salvation. It just so happens Jesus is the Savior, but I just want salvation. They come to Jesus, and They want to be freed from hell, whether Jesus is the one to do it or not. Well, I guess he is, so that's what I'll do, is I'll take Jesus. Many think that they're followers of Jesus, and 
They're not. Now, three things I want to give to you. One, I think this chapter calls us, Faith Church, to prioritize the spiritual over the physical. We are wired because of our sinful nature to not do that. We we are wired to wake up and focus on the temporal, short-termed stuff that seems like it's in our face and affecting us at the moment, and we ignore the most important things, our relationship with God, the Word of God, praying to God. Is there anything more relevant to a person that will live forever than to learn to every day talk to their Creator through Jesus Christ in prayer and ask Him for help and for Him to change our hearts and give us help to be a parent, to be a child, to, to be to be good to your parents, for your work or for your school or for your sins or for your obedience or for any of your endeavors? Is there anything more important than to go after and call out to God for that kind of help? Is there anything more important than to know the God of the universe has who has revealed himself into this book and go to him in his word? And yet we do not prioritize far too often reading God's word and praying. In this passage... They're prioritizing the physical, and they're just wanting bread. They just want the signs. They just want these, these miracles. This passage calls us, when Jesus says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. This passage says, Care about your soul. Your soul will live forever. Your body will die and and wither in the grave and be eaten up by worms, but your soul will live forever. Pursue, this world says, pursue comfort for now. Jesus says, pursue comfort for eternity. Seek pleasure for forevermore, not the blink of lustful seconds of life. And we, like the Jews in this passage, can be so focused on the things of this world. Our parents, as parents, we can be so focused on our kids' temporal success. And not whether their name is written in the book of life and they're bearing fruit. And it's evidenced by our lack of prayerfulness and earnestness. Oh, it's in some ways, it's not fully in our hands, it's in God's hands, but oh, Do we believe that our kids' eternity and their soul is more important than anything else in our parenting? In our marriages, do we care about the outcome of the faith of our husband or wife? Do we long for our marriages to be a reflector of eternal values? Do Do we understand that happiness ultimately is not God's goal now? In this life, but it is for eternity. Do we prioritize the spiritual over the physical? Friends, the preacher's job, the gospel preacher's job, is to tell you and remind you that you will live forever in either heaven or hell. And this life is preparing us for one or the other. Not that you earn heaven or Work your way to hell. We are all born destined to hell because of our parents, Adam and Eve, and because we just jumped in it right with them 
and show evidences daily of our sin that brings us under the wrath of God. It is only by God's grace that he saves us. And in saving us, he rescues us. And when he rescues us, he puts his spirit in us. And when he puts his spirit in us, it shows evidence that we are children of God. And we will yearn for the things of God and we will seek him. And when we don't seek him, we are to repent of that when we are made known of it. We are to confess that as sin and to seek him with all our heart. This passage, Jesus says to them, truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you, was it not Moses who gave you bread in the wilderness? He gave you bread from heaven. It said it wasn't Moses. It was God the Father that gave it to you, the true bread from heaven. And this God the Father is giving you bread. He's offering it to you right now. Will you have it? And these disciples that walk away, they, put, they look at Jesus and they want the external and they avoid the, etern- the eternal, the spiritual, and they turn away. Oh, that we would, as we leave here this morning, pray convicted and thankful for God's grace, but look to him and say, oh God, forgive me where I have. And maybe we need to name those areas. I have repeatedly shown that I value physical things more than I do spiritual things. I value these temporal things and I do not put the right value on being together with God's people to grow in the Lord, being in the word daily, meditating on God's word, praying and confessing my sins and getting help from somebody in this room to help me with my problem that is keeping me from having a healthy spiritual life. Oh, I pray that we'll hear that in this passage. But I also want you to see this. This passage tells us to prize the giver over the gift. What a what a opportune message at Christmas time. We all know it would be bad if we all open our presents. We care nothing about the giver of those presents. And all we do is care about the gift. We'd say, you are ungrateful, selfish, wrong priorities. And this passage says, prize the giver over the gift Prize the person over the present, the spiritual over the physical, and focused on Jesus Christ. You remember they come to the wedding and they needed wine because they ran out of wine in John 2, but we learn that Jesus is the true wine. He brings festive joy forevermore. Look to him not just the gifts that he gives. Remember Jesus is the living water that the woman at the well needed. It's not that Jesus just brought well water that would be miraculous. Jesus was that water, and whoever received him received life. Jesus doesn't merely give spiritual bread that we need. This spiritual bread so I can go to heaven when I die. This spiritual bread that just so happens to come from Jesus, and if I get it, then I'll be a healthy, well-rounded, emotionally healthy, happy well-adjusted, living my potential kind of person. No, Jesus is the spiritual bread. He gives his life that it might be received, that he might be received. They said, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not 
hunger, whoever believes in me, not the bread, whoever believes in me, I am the bread. I'm the living bread that came down from anyone from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, will live forever. He says, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh, of which I believe he's referring to now. I'm going to die. I'm going to die for you. Jesus is saying, the giver is the gift. The giver is the gift. We are far too often like the disciples that fell away in this passage. We want Jesus to come and feed our desires. We have our goals and we want Jesus' help because we know we're broken. We need Jesus' help to help us as parents. We help us obey our parents. We need help, help to get through school and get through our emotional mess that we have with a relationship or whatever it is. We need financial help so we come to Jesus for health and success. Jesus says, the gift that you need more than anything, and maybe I'm going to take all these things away from you because I, want to, I don't want you to love those things. I want your heart fixed instead on the giver who is the gift itself. Don't seek Jesus to fix your kingdom, your plans, your agenda, your will, or your way. Seek Jesus and surrender to his kingdom. These disciples, the 12 disciples, except for Judas, are going to learn this. They're still going after, they probably have mixed motives, but God is working in them. And God is saying, you are meant for my kingdom. I will not come in and fix your kingdom. I am going to take you out of your kingdom of slavery and self-service and bring you into my kingdom. And oh, when you come to me, you will never hunger and thirst. This is what you were meant for. So I guess the last thing that I see in this passage to emphasize, prioritize the spiritual over the physical and prioritize Christ over all his gifts. That's really number two. And the third would be for us to prioritize faith over, we could say, sight or feelings, faith over feelings. That's something in our culture. Jesus says over and over again, to those who come to me and believe in me, those who believe in me will have life. The problem was they weren't believing in him. They didn't really believe in him. They wanted the things he had, but they didn't put their trust in him. Faith in a person, Jesus, over feelings. Obedience over comfort. We need this message today. We are to listen and to believe his words. They are life. The disciples didn't say at the end of this passage, where else should we go, Lord? Who else does miracles like this? He says, you have the words of eternal life. Faith Church, you have the words of eternal life in Jesus. You have the words of life in your Bible right there. You have the words of eternal life pointing you to Jesus. And it says, Jesus is the bread of life. Come to him and believe upon him. Choose him. Obey him even when you don't feel like it. Obey him when it's uncomfortable. Obey him when the world says, it looks dumb, or it's wrong, or it doesn't fit with their understanding of love. Obey him in trust, trusting in him. I could point you to multiple passages where he says how faith is critical, and I'll, I'll end with these. 
in John 6, in verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Believe the Father. Believe in him whom he has sent. Verse 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we conclude with a song of reflection and a song of response. He's who is our Redeemer. But doing this, I want, to, I want to call you to this, friends. Friends, believers and unbelievers in this room, Christians and non-Christians, maybe those that are weak believers but are growing in faith, I want to call to all of you, salvation is from the Lord, and it's through Jesus Christ and his flesh and what he did on the cross. And it is for everyone who comes to him and believes. And the sign that you believe is faith in him, not just valuing material things, but longing for him and him alone. Where are you? And where do you need to confess? Where do you need to confess where you have focused on the physical far more and in expense to the spiritual? Where do you need to confess where Jesus has become the shovel to get to the real treasure? Where Jesus was meant to be the treasure, not the means to getting to the treasure. Where do you need to confess and ask God to help you Flip the priorities of what you currently are. That's what repentance is. Flipping those priorities because you see, oh, how foolish it is to live for these temporal, trivial, physical, blessed things, but not the real, which is found in Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, we thank you that your Son is our Redeemer. We thank you that we can rise this morning in faith, singing of him, growing in him, trusting in him because of your grace. And pray we do that in Jesus' name, amen.